0: IT businesses in From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and
1: Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 137 of the Killing It, Killing oh. it- podcast. I'm Carl, joined as always by Ryan and Dave. Ryan is in the oddest place we've ever done this specific podcast.
0: You know, it is, uh, I'm 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 just testing the boundaries of the work from anywhere concept. Not just, you know, locations and destinations, but in a rental car, in a parking lot of an IHOP, using 5G and tethering my iPad. It's. I, I will vouch for the fact that it was not nearly as difficult to get into the studio as I thought it was going to be, and you guys tell me that the audio is okay. So yeah. I, that's a whole new horizon of places to work from.
2: Yep, it's all good. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's have a little fun with before we dive in on the actual topics, guys. What board game do you like most? So, question: Does
1: Yahtzee count as a board game?
2: I'm going to go with yes.
1: All right. Well, then then Yahtzee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I have I have a Yahtzee game that is so old that uh, you know I've got the little playing cards from two ex-wives, so you know.
0: <laughs> Ryan, favorite board game? Uh, see, I see. I I will wholeheartedly endorse Scrabble because uh, as as a child, I used to play a game with my siblings that we called the dictionary game, and basically it was. We had this massive, humongous, like 80 pound dictionary that, that my mother had bought. And, uh, and, and the game was randomly flip it open to a page, randomly put your finger on the page, uh, on the, somewhere on the page and pick a word. And you scored points like if you knew the definition of the word. I've always been a word nerd. And so Scrabble is, is my uh, Scrabble is my happy place.
2: So all right, I'm going to going to be anti like I'm not into board games and I have a very particular reason why and it dates back to college where all of my friends required games for drinking. And I don't believe drinking requires a game. Exactly. I'm a professional without a game. <laughs> and so This was a this was a huge thing for me because you'd play the game and not talk to people. And so I've like completely rebelled against it and have had this whole thing about about games. But I will now caveat by saying: Is is, well, I am back into D D, so I will actually say, like, it's not quite a board game, but we do play it with a virtual board and figures and all that kind of stuff. So exactly, that's but I've never yeah, liked think- it because I don't like, I don't need a
1: game to drink. Yeah, well, so I grew up. I have five brothers. We grew up with games like Scrabble and uh, just everything you could possibly imagine. So, in fact, I'm giving it there, for Christmas.
0: There's a there's an obscure one out there if you've not heard of it called triominoes right sort of like dominoes but with triangles not not rectangles if you've never played it, it's old it's been around for a million years it causes a, a lot of competition and swearing among me and my siblings and right. uh, it, it, it's it's i think that's the best side effect of a board game yeah. right you know well, got to get somebody so upset that they flip the table well, uno is
1: how you teach people to swear <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly well See?
2: Well, are you still relying on a frustrating patchwork of legacy solutions? Modernize your cybersecurity and data protection with Acronis CyberProtect Cloud. It's a single solution that combines backup, anti-malware, and endpoint protection management. As an MSP, you can easily improve your client's security posture, eliminate complexity, and generate more recurring revenue. Learn more about Acronis CyberProtect Cloud at acronis.com. So topic one, I loved this because the framing is just delightful. It's a piece by Axios that examines the idea of looking at the tech companies as nation states. And in fact, I have to couple that with an article in Foreign Affairs magazine at foreignaffairs.com where they additionally look at digital powers reshaping the global order. The two paired so nicely together, like a wine and a cheese. Uh, but this idea of looking at tech giants as a nation as nation states, and they put everything on a triangle. They put globalists versus tech utopians and national champions. Uh, guys, are, are these companies so big that they are their own nation states? Is this a good lens to analyze them? Well, I mean,
1: if you look at the, the budget of a Google or an Amazon or... Uh, Facebook. Look at their budget compared to half the states in the union and three quarters of the countries in the world. I mean, yeah, it's it's essentially equivalent to that. But I I will have to say that the science fiction has always been that these big corporations are going to, you know, run the world. And I don't know that that's going to necessarily happen, but they clearly have their place and they are outside national boundaries, just... Just recently, we had an entire uh, international uh, get together to talk about how we begin to
0: curb that. So,
1: it's a serious thing.
0: See, and it it is a serious thing, and it was it it was predicted over a decade ago, right? If you guys remember the book "The Big Switch" by Nicholas Carr. Right, so when he when he was teaching us all the concept of utility computing and 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 everything moving online and into data centers, and the front half of that book is all about technology and market dynamics and what the what the locationless capabilities of the internet were actually going to e- enable. That was phenomenal. The back half of that book, if you go back there and read that, was all about uh, how borderless internets were going to be a problem and there because countries would use the internet to do things across borders that they couldn't do in the physical world but actually how the technology companies themselves would rise to a level of importance that was supra country right there's no one country that can control the whole worldwide internet and therefore the companies that control that kind of technology actually have to be thought of as needing regulation from some entity that is beyond a single country. I, I think you're a thousand percent on target. They are nation states functionally.
2: Well, interestingly, the, I mean, if you put this in the context of the U.S. State Department firing up their new Bureau of Cyber um, in order to do to think about diplomatic relation, relations with other countries, there's probably going to be a factor of thinking about companies in their relations, considering that this is, it's not physical space, right? It is private space. Some of it is public, but some of it is dominated by, uh, you know, private companies. Like I do not buy into the the notion of Facebook as the town square. It is a public, it is a private space. It is not a town square, but, there are pieces of what's going on that are quasi-public at best or worse, depending on your perspective. So there is some real thinking to be done about these companies at this level of size with this level of influence that do need to be managed at some level as their own nation state. And by the way, they're not all friendly either.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, and they're also, these companies are taking on challenges that used to be left to governments. Things like getting us into space, right? That's that. I mean, literally there, it used to be no one had the money to have a space race except a government. Uh, and now there's multiple companies racing to, to make that happen. And the, you know, putting up internet balloons all over the world. Right. And there's many, many things that are so big that we used to only think a government could do that. So in, in some sense, It's good that they're doing these things, but they are ultimately – if you decide you're going to put up internet around the world, you're not responsible to anybody, where at least the government is ultimately responsible to somebody.
0: And Well, exactly, right? The government is responsible to its citizens and to other countries via treaties and all of these agreements and and the the international law. These companies are – deliberately trying to make themselves separate from the regulatory environment. And in a nutshell, exactly what Carl just described is precisely why I ain't very interested in the metaverse as envisioned by our friend at the new meta company. Um, I I think that that is, you know, Dave, you, you say it's not the town square. Well, if he gets his way it, there won't be any more town squares because we're all just going to be Wall-E citizens sitting on uh, on a virtual headset, existing in the virtual space. Right? If you haven't seen the movie Wall-E recently, go back and watch it. It was surprisingly accurate in how it predicted
2: today. Nah, <laughs> it, I don't. I don't buy into to, the, to these versions of, of that uh, forward, you know, meta verse, mostly because. Items that make you look like a dork when you wear them on your face don't work long-term. It just <laughs> is not viable. That's not well, the way I think you know, remember the
1: Google glasses. I've got a friend who I probably know and just, just met her three months ago, but she said she started doing this thing with you know, tapping on her glasses. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? She said, I'm just looking through my text messages. And I'm like, oh my God, like you have... Google Glasses that actually look like normal glasses and they actually work. So, you know, that that technology failed for the wrong reasons. But someday your 3D headset is going to look like normal glasses. So. Yeah. Looking so I'm, less I'm gonna,
2: dorky. Before we run out of time on this one, because I'm about to hand it off, but I'm actually going to tell you that I think I think the metaverse is actually audio. And what I think is, is I think a device like an AirPod will get... Uh, a an ability to sense more around it with some kind of embedded camera that you won't use, but it will talk to you in your ear, and you will get information fed to you in your ear via that vision that always on because think about how easy everyone walks around with AirPods and it's not a thing versus something on your face and by the way again technology that makes you nauseous. Like, I don't know, VR, also not a viable option. <laughs> but you can completely see an embedded little camera that's watching the world and whispering into your ear. That's more the way well, I think it's uh,
1: going. and I'm ready for the implant, so I don't need I don't even need the little thing in my ear. I just like No, I do not want to reboot my head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Form factors to be determined. But uh, yeah. So uh, so guys, topic number two. I want to jump in because, you know, as a group of three individuals who make a living saying words and hoping that people listen and understand <laughs> and do the things that we ask, our next topic is something that is absolutely fascinating to me. Uh, we are constantly on a search for real world application use cases of artificial intelligence. And the article that we're linking to in the show notes goes to an interesting application. Uh, AI for the purpose of parsing language to uncover hidden sentiment now that sounds like the future world, if anything that we've discussed on this show ever did, because it has always been the assumption that humans were the only ones who could parse meaning and sentiment and not just the not just the context and content of language, but the human application of language. And we always said, well, the robots will never get there. So robots can't write poetry and robots can't write books and robots can't design attractive things. No matter how intelligent they become, except that in this application, if you buy their logic parsed forward, what they're saying is artificial intelligence can tell when you're fibbing, and that's only just a little bit away from all the nuance that, that we have thought was our, our domain as humans. What do you guys think, A, about the, the general AI topic, but B, about this specific application?
2: This is I don't true. need an AI to smell corporate bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, look, look, I say that because it's funny, but I actually what, what I will then extend this to go is, is this, this is making a human skill better and is making that information more accessible. Journalists, researchers, People with ears can detect the general patterns of some of the bullshit and some of the the, the insanity coming out when from these the, these you know investor pitches, uh, listening to language patterns and tones. That's a skill we as humans have. But yes, we can put this through the computer. We can make the AI learn faster, smarter, better, and give us more information on that. But that's, that's the, the acceleration of a human skill, not purely unique to the machine. Now, don't get me wrong. I love this application. I think it's super cool. But the reason it works is because we as human understand it can teach the computers how to do it, and they can find the patterns much more efficiently.
1: Well, and computers are, yeah, I mean, it's it's what they do. They can do things bigger, better, faster. Uh, there was a time a while back when the Israelis, when they had... These uh, detention centers. they would put up, they would flash for like a thousandth of a second or something. a known terrorist. It was too fast for your human eyes to see. Uh, but your unconscious brain, people who knew who that was, would have an elevated heart rate. And they would instantly be able to tell who were the bad guys because why would you know this international terrorist <laughs> if you were not also associated with them? Um, and you know, but but that's the kind of thing that, Once you let the technology dig in, you will find many, many things that a human being couldn't because you can sift and sort and do all kinds of stuff, uh, but not to actually find the stuff that is a millionth uh, more accurate in terms of detecting things. Although I have to say, Dave, I completely agree with you. We're sort of at 99% there by just being human and knowing what a BS detector is, you know. And if, a, and if a CEO or a politician is talking, it's probably BS. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Is he talking? Yes. Yeah, so is, it, are his lips moving? <laughs> exactly. Are his lips moving? Evidently, it is BS. But I'll, I'll see, that's that's the use case that they're highlighting in this article, again, which which I do think serves a purpose in, in the corporate world, right? Uh, there is so much double talk there is so much like code phrases lingo that is not just designed to obscure the true meaning of what they're saying you know hey everything is fine everything is good except for the little nuggets that we're dropping in indicate that no actually we're gonna miss our revenue next quarter and our stock is gonna tank even though we said it with a smile right like if you can eliminate that kind of uncertainty and deliberate misleading In the financial world and in earnings reports and things like that, I think that serves the public good, right? I think that to be plain spoken is a very valuable thing. And it's almost like lawyers and CEOs and Wall Street humans, they've gone to school for the purpose of learning how not to speak But I do have
1: to question that, like how much public good could actually come from this? It's one thing to say we're hiding the fact that, you know, we think that we're an inch away from a nuclear meltdown or whatever. That Like, that almost never happens. It's much more common that we aren't sure what we're going to do next quarter or whether we're going to hire enough people between now and Christmas. And we don't, I mean, we just legitimately have to say something positive as possible and we don't have any really good positive news to back it up. Is that, like, worth spending any time, effort, or money trying to figure out, that's just, you know, they're they're putting their spin on it and everybody knows it. And it's not like you're, it's not like the outright lies that, you know, manipulate the market, right? And then it does nothing to stop Elon Musk from just tweeting whatever the hell he feels like at the moment. <laughs>
0: Exactly. I I would say that that is exactly the end case that we're trying to address. Right. It's the deliberate manipulation where uh, imagine the flip side of this article. If this software can be used to identify when you are B.S.ing, then you could probably also turn that around to create B.S., that is hard for humans to detect. You could use the algorithm in reverse, essentially, and you could come up with ways to describe uh, deliberately misleading things to intentionally manipulate the market, and all the humans are gonna listen and go, I mean, that sounded okay, it sounded fine, right? I I think that's the use case that we're trying to plan for.
1: I do have to question, if you ran this algorithm against the uh, folks who ran Enron, would it detect anything? Because a true actual psychopath will believe the fictional world that they are telling you about.
0: Yeah, the, they would pass the lie detector test because they don't believe they're lying. <laughs> so, cool.
1: All right. Are we done with that? Is that has it that run its course? I think so. I think we've covered that one. All righty. Well, what is there to say? <laughs> that, that gives us a little extra time to talk about Facebook, which is in the news for a number of reasons. But today, uh, the thing that I think is most interesting is shutting down their facial recognition um, system. And it, this is so amazing to me that you can upload pictures and it will instantly say, oh, is that Dave? Is that Ryan? Is that Carl? Boop, boop, boop. And its accuracy is over the top. And they're not just shutting it down but they are getting rid of it it's like they're not putting it on the shelf for later use <laughs> they, they are deleting the database and uh i just think it's an, an amazing step and i wonder, is this just a response to companies like apple who say hey your privacy actually matters and we're going to sell privacy first or is there some did somebody grow a spine at facebook or a conscious or
2: what you know why why are they doing this Yes and no. Uh, <laughs> so, like, I'm gonna quip. I'm gonna quip that you know the tech is really bad when Facebook goes. You know, I think we're gonna have to get out of this one. Like, <laughs> like, like, like they, they, they are the they're the ones that are like, you know, oh yeah, get more outrage, get more outrage, pump that machine, it makes us money. Like, and then and they're going, you know, this one looks really dangerous. Now, that said, uh, I suspect, this is both the right thing to do and they probably have made a smart product decision. My suspicion is that they've also figured out, and by the way, this is me conjecturing, Not, I don't have any data on this one, but my, my suspicion is, is they, they figured out that the, the feature was somewhat underutilized and people were just as happy tagging their friends as they were letting the machine do it. And this is an easy one to seed some space on and be the, and do the right thing. Uh, because they've got a pretty proven track record of making good product choices that make them more money, not just doing things that are magnetic. So
1: could this be as simple as if, if I don't if I have to tag it myself, I spend more minutes on Facebook?
2: or you engage better, it could be like, I bet there's a product decision behind this where they figured out the, you know what, if we do it in a way where, uh, you know, it is driven by the user base, we see better engagement or we see more accuracy. Like There's something to it, I suspect, where doing the right thing and doing the product thing aligned for them and this was an easy win to go, yep, we've been thinking about it. That makes a ton of sense. It gets us some good PR. That's not to say that I'm not looking and going, that's eh, a good move. Like, I'm, I'm glad to see that they're looking at this and saying, yeah, that tech isn't good for us. They probably are also making it for good business decisions, but it's the right thing to get out of.
0: Well, but see, this is the problem.
2: For nearly two years now, consecutive,
0: the three of us have been saying facial recognition technology is a good idea but it is fraught with ethical and biased challenges that require not just controls inside the software and, and reviews of the efficacy of the software, but also human oversight to ensure that we're not further causing problems. We've been saying facial recognition in the wrong hands is a very bad thing, right? It is a good tool used for very bad purposes. And with a chuckle, Every time we've discussed this, we've said, can you imagine the real, really powerful, effective facial recognition technology in the wrong hands? <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> and then Facebook actually freaking agreed with us. So um, are you I saying Mark Zuckerberg
1: right. listens to our show?
0: I, I think he probably does. And you Secretly. Know, we could give him some advice. <laughs> we uh, we could give him some guidance and some product recommendations, as Dave said. I, see again. I, I will take a slightly more cynical point of view. I don't think they did it because it was the right thing to do. I think they did it because in today's climate they needed a PR win and this was a throwaway feature for them that they could get rid of without hampering their economic engine. But. They've got a bad reputation on burning down society. They've got a bad reputation on user privacy. They've got uh, some very recent, very public testimony in a Senate hearing that is making them look terrible. And they needed to go out there and get a new win. Uh, They announced a name change, and the world collectively just went, whatever. Like, meh. (laughs) that they, they call themselves Meta, and I think the internet basically called them Meta. Uh, you know, who cares, right? They needed more than that, and this was a hammer that they could bring down. Now, again, Carl, I'm where you are on this one. They didn't just stop using it. They didn't just decommission this. They deleted the data, or deleting the data. Now, what that says to me is... <laughs> um, We ain't being told the whole thing because clearly behind the cloak of secrecy, something is going on with that data. That it's not just that they're not going to continue functioning that way, but it's one of those. It's so bad that not only I can't have it, but I can't allow it. So, and along those
1: lines, you know, we had a story a while back about the number of lawsuits, right? I wonder how many subpoenas they've been getting and if it's an increasing number of subpoenas. And again, this is me just conjecturing. <laughs> like, are they being asked for this stuff by so many governments that now it's, it's much easier for them to say, we don't do that anymore? And then the next question is, okay, are you deleting them from the backups?
2: That's a super interesting angle because and I just did. I just covered that over on Business Tech with Signal. Actually, Signal did a disclosure of all the warrants that they've had. You know, one of the warrants they've had to deal with, and the incredible level of information being asked by in, by police. You know, by law enforcement, by police departments in order to do this. That's a very reasonable thing to go. You know what? We don't want to deal with this. We're trying to get out of this. Here we go. Delete all the data. Um, By the way, I will put on my hat for this one because I continue to believe that there's money to be made in a data management practice for businesses where you're actually asking, why are we collecting this data? What, What is it used for? Do we understand the downside and are we being very critical to what we consume and hold on to in business data? I think we hold on to too much and I think we collect too much thinking we might need it without actual justification for why and I think there's a whole practice area here. See, and in a world where in a
0: world where we are now as practitioners in technology more exposed to regulation and to insurance oversight and all of those legal implications associated with our data. I think managing information and storage is one thing. I think analyzing it for business insight is another thing. As you're describing analyzing it for risk management like if you store all of this data and then it gets out here are the bad things that could happen to you uh we've all had this default mentality of if it's customer data you keep it forever if it's right. identifiable if you can parse it for marketing purposes you keep every shred of data uh, there's gonna come a court case sometime soon that makes us all go uh you know what hanging on to other people's credit card numbers might be convenient but maybe I don't want that vulnerability.
1: Well, the the ultimate rule of being a um, an information vendor is you never throw information away. And you know, I'm going to add a, a link to a, a Gizmodo article that notes the amount of money that is being charged to, um, you know su- support a, uh, a, a subpoena or a court case or whatever. Um, It's not, it's, it's, and I'm not sure that it's necessarily a profit center, but there is an awful lot of money if you're talking about the thousands and thousands of court cases. So maybe Facebook was looking at it and saying, uh, supporting this kind of warrant search is far more expensive than it's ever going to be worthwhile. You know, it it could be a loss center for them. Again, just wild speculation because I got nothing else to do.
0: But but you know it, it is wildly interesting speculation, and that's what we do here on Killing.
2: <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, the, the the offshoot of this is the okay. How many of the how many companies are going to get out of facial recognition proactively, and how many are going to are going to double down on it and, and continue to invest? Right. I mean, and it's it's interesting to me to think that there are I would believe that the ones that are delivering it as a service like an AWS are going to continue to do it because they've got a they've got a different model than Facebook in this case which I believe is an implementer, but more importantly, is is offering it kind of as a feature more than as something you subscribe to. So for so like I could see AWS going, oh yeah, we're going to invest in recognition. By the way, that's their recognition with K, right? Their actual product around that. Where it, and maybe and probably Microsoft too, who's going to say we're going to invest in these because these are products we intend to sell, versus a Facebook that's using it and has now decided, you know what, the use of this opens up more than me, and we can probably make a product decision around it. That'll be interesting to see who gets out for what reasons. Well,
1: and I think most of the people or organizations buying facial recognition are probably police-oriented, and as a result, there's a certain amount of liability, like, oh, you provided this data, the police came and arrested the wrong guy, and now, you know, tick, 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 like, eh, we don't need the liability for it.
0: Well, except that I will, I will report from the trenches of the industry. Yesterday, I was at a conference event with uh, guys who do infrastructure and systems integration at the component level—the uh, chip providers, the board providers, the storage, the drive, the NAND, right—all of the, the 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 itty bits inside of the machines that we sell. And uh, I will, I will say that more than one manufacturer of a brand name you would recognize. Reported that the fastest growing use case for storage, bandwidth consumption, and processing is video surveillance and facial recognition. All of the known brands in our industry that sell these kinds of system-level capabilities, they are hawking their wares. I mean, again, I grew up as a storage guy. I I look at video surveillance and I say, "Uh, look at all the disc it's going to (laughs) chew, right? Like that's... It's going to be a big issue in our industry.
1: Well, we certainly will revisit this topic because I don't think we've heard the whole story. And sadly, that will do it for episode 137 of the Killing
0: Killing It Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.